listening to New Life the Fort, where the person of Jesus Christ and His love for you are shared. Two weeks ago, we talked about being accepted in the Beloved. And so we got a testimony uh, from, a, from a lady, and it was her first time to attend the church. And the reason why it blessed me so, it's because it, it was her first time, and she caught so much. And we can see it in this letter, and I'll read this to you. It says here, Hi, I thank God for the message accepted in the Beloved. It was my first time to attend at the church while I was having my few days vacation in Manila. I attended the 11 a.m. service, and came back with my children to attend at 5 p.m. Wow, I mean, she just really loved it. She dragged her children, you know, to that service. It says, I was so touched that I felt like the pastor knew me and that she could even describe how I think. I cried myself out. I realized that it's not God who is disappointed in me, but it's me who is disappointed with myself for the many times I failed. I felt like it is God who was speaking to me through you, his servant, that I am accepted in Christ no matter what because I belong to him. My heart was so touched realizing how much he has forgiven and accepted me. It's more on God's acceptance of me, not my acceptance of him. Wow. The moment I believed Christ's finished work on the cross and surrendered my life to him, God accepted me and the beloved. Yes, it's not about performance-based acceptance, but about God's love for us. I, feel, I felt so light in my heart that time, knowing that I am accepted and loved by him through faith in Christ and not through my service or performance because I have failed many times. Thank God, and I thank you, the leadership, for being good servants of Christ and sharing his message of love. I visit your website this time as I am now back in the Middle East because I am getting more hungry to hear God's message through you. I pray that I will be able to visit the church again in God's perfect time and will also continue to pray for you all. Amen. Isn't that an amazing testimony? Amen. And so, um, you know, we have like, you know, she obviously works in the Middle East. She was here for a vacation. But I just want you to know that this message of Jesus, this message of grace is truly really going out beyond the four walls of this church. And, um, and it, it's nothing, see, and, and we'll know from this message, because I'll read a few verses to you, it's not really about uh, the leadership, although we have a wonderful leadership, but it's really about God's purpose. And God's purpose is to just preach his word and to make sure as many people as, you know, as possible can hear the message through this church. Amen? So I was really blessed. So um, we're going to talk about accepted in the beloved again. So it's part two. Because I know that there are some things that we need to um, repeat, maybe, and some things that I believe the Holy Spirit wants to reveal. So let's just start with Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 8 in the New Living Translation. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 8. It says here, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Now we can see that he has already blessed us. It's a past tense. It's a done deal. Amen? But I also want you to see that it says here we are blessed because we are united with Christ. So it is in our union with Christ that we are blessed. It is not in our works. It is not in our self-effort. It is not in our trying to appease or please God. But it is because we have been united with him. Now, how many of you here are one with Christ? 
Amen. Receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are one with Him. You are one spirit with Him. You are united with Him. And the Bible says, because you are united with Christ, you are already blessed. Say this, I am blessed because I am united with Christ. Amen. Verse 4, even before He made the world. That is a long time ago. Even before he made the world, even before you were born, even before your grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents were born. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us, past tense, and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. I am here to tell you when God looks at you, he does not see any fault. He sees you holy. He sees you blameless. Why? Because you are in Christ. You are accepted in the beloved. This is God's word. And God does not lie. And I know and I believe that even as we have a revelation of this, we are going to live out our lives in a very, very different way. Without fault in his eyes. Verse 5, God decided in advance, in advance, before you ever did anything to please him. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Great pleasure. God's delight is in planning out your life. Even before you were born, he was planning out your life. He said, oh my goodness, I am, I'm going to take uh, Patrick out. And, you know, even before Patrick is born, and because I saw Patrick way back there, even before Patrick was born, you know, I have plans and purposes that I made for him. It is written in my book. And it gave me such great delight to make that for him. You know, and you put your name right there. You know that God takes delight. He took delight, actually. In writing your story, God, God is a wonderful scriptwriter, <laughs> if you might call him that. Why? Because in his stories, there are no sad endings. It's always victorious endings. It's always glorious endings. And he wrote your story. He wrote your story. He said he did it in advance and it gave him great pleasure. Verse 6. So we praise God. That's why we praise God. I want you to know why you praise God. I want you to know why you came in here. Because God already wrote your story, and your story is beautiful. So you can praise God. Amen? So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. You belong to Him. You were accepted in the Beloved. Verse 7, He's so rich. God is rich. I don't know about you, but if my daddy is rich... I shouldn't worry about anything. I might be tempted to worry, but I remind myself, my daddy's rich. My daddy owns a cattle in a thousand hills. My daddy can provide all my needs. And he said that he will provide everything we need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I'm so glad he will not provide according to our works, <laughs> according to our goodness, according to how smart we are. But it provides according to the riches of his grace. It says he's so rich. Say, my daddy's rich. Wow. You need to believe that whenever you look at your wallet. Say, you open your wallet and you go, hallelujah, my daddy's rich. <laughs> I mean, Kevin doesn't have any problem with that. He opens his wallet. There's no money in it. He just runs to his daddy. And then daddy says, go to mommy. <laughs> no, but how many of you know that? That God is rich and he wants to pour out good things for you. He does not withhold any good thing for you. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased 
our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins, past tense. He has showered his kindness on us. Is healing a kindness? Are debts paid a kindness? Is success uh, in, in your businesses, in your family kindness? He says he has showered, he has poured out his kindness on us. Along, and not just that, along with all wisdom. Anybody need some wisdom here? I do. You know, we, we, we want to know what to do in, maybe in the next two days, you know. Maybe there's a decision that we need to make. And God said, I've poured out wisdom on you. It says here, along with all wisdom and understanding. So he wants you to be in the know. He doesn't want you to be in the dark. He wants you to know what, you know, what he thinks about you so that you can step out and live your life boldly without fear. Amen. And I'm not saying that there will be times when your faith is all so perfect. No, there will be times when you, you want to doubt and there are times you want to worry, but you have got to remind yourself that God is rich. And he's not just rich in provision, but he's rich in kindness and wisdom and mercy. And he's willing to pour that out over us. Amen. Hallelujah. God is good. So we are accepted in the beloved. Now, I want to read to you a verse. And I think, believe this verse is just really so wonderful. It spoke to my heart. And the context of this verse is uh, Rachel. Now, Rachel in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now, if you know who Jacob and Esau are, they were the ones who fought, fought over the birthright. Jacob, you know, uh, Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob was a uh, uh, you know, he was a deceiver. He deceived all his life. But before they were born, God spoke to Rachel and he said, the younger will serve the older. All right. He said that Jacob was going to serve Esau, his brother. And we all know that Jacob's life is not very perfect, was it? But we know that God had already declared something over their lives. And in Romans 9, 11 to 12, it, it makes this point in the New Living Translation. But before they were born, talking about Jacob and Esau, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. And we know that message, all right? And this message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And you know why this speaks so much to me? Because as a pastor, I'm going, why me? You know, uh, whenever I meet um, some of my friends uh, from college or some of my friends from high school, are like, oh my gosh, how are you? You know, so on. So, what do you do? Oh, I'm, I'm a doctor. And so, what are you? I'm a pastor. And they're like, <laughs> I, yeah. They can't believe it. Why? Because based on my works, they're going, I'm not going to let you pray for me. <laughs> you know, because, because there is nothing that will merit me. Standing here on stage, if not for the grace of God. And I just have to hang on to this verse as you have to hang on to the verse. Because the, you are in a place, you know, where you, you're, you might be saying, I don't know why I'm here. Oh God, you're so good. God blessed you with something. God paid for your bill. God healed your body. And you're going, I don't know why you did it. I don't deserve it. But it's not because of what you deserve. He said he calls people according to his own purpose. It's about him. It's about his plan. It's about his purpose. It's about showcasing your life to the world. It says here, he calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. Hallelujah. So we're standing in a place of glory, not because we deserve it, but because God is good. God has poured out his kindness on us. Amen. So religion says this, religion, and we know what religion, religion kills faith. Because religion is all about what you can do to reach God. 
And religion says that obedience brings acceptance. Your works bring acceptance. This is what we're programmed to believe. That, you know, uh, first you have to act right. You have to think right. You have to talk right. Then you'll fit in. Then you will belong. So, so you need to, like, behave right. Then you'll be accepted. That's what religion says. But you know what the gospel says? The gospel teaches the opposite. It teaches that acceptance brings obedience. When people know they are accepted, they are empowered to live right, they are empowered to obey. Religion says, behave, you need to behave, behave yourself, hands on your laps, Shh. in church. Oh, I don't think we behave very well here. <laughs> you know, but behave, then believe, then you will belong. That's what the world says. But the gospel says, belong, then believe then behave. So many times, we focus on people's behavior. But if we just focus on their hearing who they are in Christ, we will find that their actions will follow. They need to know who they are. When Tarzan, (laughs) do you know who Tarzan is? When Tarzan found out who he was, he didn't want to act like no monkey anymore. But before he knew who he was, all he knew was, All he knew to do was to act like a monkey, right? Because he didn't know he was a human being. But when he saw Jane, (laughs) when he saw human beings, when he saw that we're alike, we have hands, you know, the same. He started acting like who he was. And it's the same thing when we see Jesus. When we see him for who he is, then we see us for who we are in him. So that we we need to see that first, to belong, then to believe, then to behave. Another way of saying that would be, We need to have an encounter with amazing grace first. That's the first thing, amazing grace. And then we will walk in great faith. See, you don't have to work for great faith. All you need to see is a great Jesus. When you see a great Jesus, oh my goodness, you're going to walk in great faith and you won't even know it. The apostle Peter saw a great Jesus walking on water. (laughs) And without knowing it, he, he saw that he had great faith to walk on water. So amazing grace Great faith, and then good works. Say that with me. Amazing grace, great faith, good works. So we're preaching on the amazing grace of God. You know, I I don't think there's anything amazing about, oh, I'm accepted because I behaved well. That's not amazing. That's natural. That's ordinary. But you know what's amazing? You know what's supernatural? You know what's extraordinary? That before I behaved well, God accepted me. That is amazing grace. Amen? Well, give glory to God if you're going to give glory to him. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 in the New King James Version. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So which, which came first? Grace or faith? Grace. For by grace you have been saved and through faith. And that not of yourselves. My goodness, even faith is not of ourselves. There's nothing there that says it is of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we can't boast. There's no room for boasting. When it comes to walking in the blessings of God, we can't say, oh my goodness, you're so blessed. Look at what the Lord has done for you. Oh, you must be so faithful. I remember one time uh, when the church was really growing exponentially, we had people coming to us and say, my goodness, your church is growing. We're like, yeah, praise the Lord. I said, wow, you're really faithful. We're like, me. I was going to, no, 
No, because who can say you're 100% faithful? Is there anybody here who can say that they're 100% faithful? No. So this church, it has nothing to do with us. We can't, we can't boast. It says it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for? So it was grace, then faith, and then good works. And look at what it says about good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So even those good works have already been prepared for you. You don't even have to try to look for good works to try to please God. God is saying, you know what? I've already prepared it. All you need to do is enter in. You know, Kevin just entered in to the world. He didn't have to prepare the crib. He didn't have to buy his diapers. He didn't have to do all that. Well, we did that for him. He just entered in what was already prepared. The good works. Look, I I love what God says. It says here, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. We were not created by good works. But for good works. So good works had nothing to do with it. But we were created in Christ Jesus so we would be empowered to do good works. We would be empowered to walk in those good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So notice the divine order. First comes grace. Then comes our believing, our faith. Then comes good works. Amen? So in the presence of God's love and grace, we will be transformed. We will be changed. That's how we are transformed. We are transformed by beholding, not by doing. We are transformed by beholding. Amen. So I want, I want right now to go to a story in, in, in the Bible. And this is the t- story of Zacchaeus, all right? Because it shows very clearly in the story of Zacchaeus, this order, grace, faith, and then good works. Now, how many of you here are familiar with Zacchaeus, the short guy, the tax collector, the chief tax collector, okay? So Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Now, uh, just a brief history about tax collectors in Israel. These tax collectors were actually Jews. They were not Romans, all right? They were Jews. Um, Certain Jews were selected or appointed in a region by the Roman government. And these Jews, I mean, these Jews had to work their way up. And and uh, Zacchaeus, if you read the story, was a very, very rich man. He, that means he worked his way up probably from the bottom to the top of the food chain, you know, until he was very rich. So he was a tax collector. He was a Jew. And the reason he was very, very rich, and this is why Israelites hated tax collectors, was because they would get their income from the excess of the taxes as soon as if they would collect taxes from the people, right? If Rome's quota was, let, let's just say, off the top of my head, a figure. If Rome's quota was like 10 million pesos, dinar, whatever. If it was 10 million, let's just say they got 11 million from the people. Guess where the 1 million would go to? Their pockets. Okay? So, you know, I mean, that's what happened there. And that's why they hated these tax collectors. In fact, when you... When you read the Bible and it says all the prostitutes, all the liars, all the tax collectors, they're included in that infamous list because they were thieves, all right? And they were hated. So Zacchaeus was rich because he was a thief. He was rich because he was a tax collector. He was hated and all that. But I want you to see, if you know the story, why Zacchaeus was transformed. In Luke 19, verse 2 to 8 in the New Living Translation. Luke chapter 19, we're going to read his story, all right? There was a man there, named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Now, you know why he was very rich. 
He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. All right? So he was too short. Verse 4. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. Now, of course, we all know that Jesus was very popular during his time. And whenever he went there, that he would draw like crowds of people. Crowds of people would come because they wanted to see him. And of course, Zacchaeus being the popular guy, hated but popular guy, in his region wanted to see who this other guy was. So, you know, because he was short, he runs up to a tree. It says he climbed up a sycamore fig tree. Now, I like the Bible because the Bible, there are no accidents in the Bible. Every word says something, okay? Now, sycamore, so I looked it up. What sycamore means? It means a fig tree, okay? But, all right, but, it does come from the root word, which, uh, it does come from the root word, which means in the Greek, okay? The Greek is sycophanteo, okay? Sycamore, sycophanteo. You know what it means? It means to exact money wrongfully. <laughs> it means extortion. It means defraud, to defraud people. It means to rob or to spoil innocent people. I'm going, eh? So what was he saying? <laughs> Zacchaeus actually, actually climbed a tree that was really who he was. <laughs> That's who he was. That's who he was. I'm thinking, wow, you know, extortion, defraud, spoiling, exacting money wrongfully from people. We need to pray for our leaders. Amen. So this is who Zacchaeus was. And we also know he wanted to see Jesus. It says he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to reach Jesus. And he used the sycamore tree to do that. But see, it was not just a sycamore tree. It was a sycamore fig tree. Fig tree. Now, do you remember what kind of leaves Adam and Eve covered themselves with after the fall? Fig leaves. Fig leaves. So what do fig leaves represent? It represents man's effort. It represents man, man's strength. After they fell, Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves because the glory was taken away from them. They realized that they were naked. So what did they do? They got the leaves. They sold the leaves themselves, right? And they covered themselves with the leaves. Now, how many of you know that God still saw them? <laughs> you know? And what did God do? God said, you know what? You, you cannot cover yourself with your own... You cannot cover your shame. You cannot cover your guilt on your own strength, on your own effort. You cannot pay for it. It has to be the blood of an innocent animal. So what did he do? He had to kill an animal. He had to kill Bambi, a deer. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking of, a poor innocent animal. Killed an innocent animal, took their skin. Do you remember that? And he clothed Adam and Eve with that. What was he foreshadowing? What was he prophesying? He was prophesying that the only way that people would cover, not just cover, but remove that guilt and shame, was if a blameless sacrifice was offered and that blood was spilled and his skin would cover us. What covers us today is the robe of righteousness. It's this blood that covers us today. So what do the fig leaves symbolize? It symbolizes man's self-effort, religion, trying to reach God, trying to, you know, that's what it means. And look at that. Zacchaeus went up that, this tree. He went up this tree. So guess what? We, we were a lot like Zacchaeus. Probably not short in stature, stature, but we were short in capacity, short in ability, short spiritually, 
short in wisdom. And we think we could reach Jesus. We think we can see Jesus on our own strength, climbing up a tree of dead works and religion. We can't do that. The Bible says we can't do that. Zacchaeus thought that, oh, Jesus will take notice of me. I'm now here up in the tree. But I'm telling you, you don't need to climb a tree for Jesus to notice you. You know, my children don't even have to do anything for me to notice them. They might be in a play. I mean, if you have children, I'm sure in school they had those plays or performances or whatever it was, right? And they would be there on stage and we had our cameras, our telephoto lens, our video cameras. Guess where it's all trained? Not any other girl or boy. It's trained on our daughter. My daughter's 11. She's a drama queen. Takes after her dad. Yeah. Okay? And so she loves acting. She loves that. And so when she's performing, I don't care if she's in the 10th row. And, you know, she doesn't have a big part. Maybe the, 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 the actors, you know, they have the big roles and they're all there. I'm not even looking at them. I'm looking at my daughter away in the back going like this. That's all she does. And I can't like, click, 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 click. Parang dami niya ginagawa, di ba? Tapos pagdating ng mga pictures, yun lang, kasi yun lang naman ginagawa niya. But guess what? No action was insignificant. Kahit umatsing pa siya, achoo, cute! Oh, please! Kahit bumalentong at mag-cartwheel pa yung bida, wala akong pakialam. Didn't matter how small and significant her part was. And maybe some of you are saying, I don't know if God's gonna notice me. Who am I? I'm not this big missionary. I'm not this big evangelist. I'm not on TV preaching out this oh, message and all. Oh, is God going to notice me? Are you kidding me? Nothing you do is insignificant to God. Why? Because you are marked by his love. You are accepted in the beloved. And guess what? Kyla did not climb any tree <laughs> for me to notice her. Amen. Hallelujah. And look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. It says, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, because he was on a tree, and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. What was Jesus saying? Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. Come down from that tree of dead works. Come down from that tree of religion. Come down from that tree of self-effort. Come down. You know why? Because that's not going to get you to me. I am going to be the one to reach out to you. I want to eat with you. I want to eat with you. That's what Jesus was saying here. See, Jesus did not stop and notice Zacchaeus because he was up on a tree. You can't impress God with your good works. But Jesus stopped because he knew Zacchaeus by name. Zacchaeus must have been so shocked or he must have been so, wow, he knows my name. Whatever it was, Jesus knew his name. He stopped because he loved Zacchaeus. He stopped because he wanted to reach out to Zacchaeus. He stopped and he said, I want to have quick, I must be a guest in your home today. Come down from that tree. Do you know that there is only one tree that can save you? And we did not have to climb that tree. Jesus climbed it for us. And that tree was the cross. And on that cross, he paid the price for our sin. He took upon himself the punishment for mankind so that we could forever know that we are accepted in him. So don't climb any trees. Now, if you want to get santol, pwederin. But Jesus already did it for us. He climbed the tree. He was cursed. 
anyone who's, you know, uh, crucified on a tree. That's what the Bible says. He was hung on a tree. And that is the only tree that can save us. Amen. Not a tree of good works, not a tree of self-righteousness, but the cross, the cross of Calvary, which Jesus climbed for us. And then verse 6, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. And you know why they did that? Because in Jewish culture, when you eat with a person, you are identifying yourself with him. And they all knew Jesus was a good person. They all knew that. Jesus was a good person. He went about healing people, right? Wasn't that what Jesus... And all of a sudden, he wants to identify himself with a sinner, a notorious sinner. So they were like, oh, no. But you know what Jesus was saying? I'm going to identify myself with you. And that's what he did for us. Jesus identified himself with our sin. He identified himself. He took upon himself our sin, our sinful nature. Why? So we could identify with him in his righteous nature. So we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what Jesus was saying. He said, I'm going to your house. What was he saying? I want to identify with you. It is the only way you can be saved. Amen. And people were displeased. But guess what? Jesus did not care about the scandal. He cared about the scandalous. (laughs) That's what he was. He was always with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. Why? Because this is why I have come. Because the healthy people, they don't need a doctor. It's the sick people who need a doctor. Amen. And so here, he stays in the house of Zacchaeus. And guess what? We don't know exactly the conversation that went on. We can only begin to imagine what would it be like. Can you, can you just, just picture yourself? Just picture yourself on a dining room table. Just you and Jesus alone. And you look into his eyes. Eyes that see everything. Maybe you can't look anymore because you know he sees everything. And yet, when you dare look into his eyes, and you will see only love and compassion. And I believe Zacchaeus at that time just felt like the most valuable person on earth. I think he felt like the most loved person on earth, which probably was not a feeling he was used to anymore. He wasn't used to that. He wasn't used to such kindness and compassion because if we know Jesus... Jesus didn't show anything but compassion for sinners, right? Didn't even condemn them. Just showed them love. And I believe that at that time, that one afternoon, something happened. And in verse 8, we can see the result of an encounter with Jesus. It says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. We need to pray. (laughs) I mean, what's going to transform a person? No ordinary person could transform Zacchaeus. No ordinary, I mean, years and years and years of theft. This is his way of life. He probably, probably didn't even feel guilty about it. This was who he was, and all of a sudden, an encounter with Jesus, an afternoon with Jesus, and from a lifelong taker, he suddenly becomes a generous giver. What? How could that happen? A moment with Jesus can change everything. You know why? Because first Jesus showed him acceptance before he even changed his behavior. 
I want to dine with you. What was that saying? I accept you, Zacchaeus. I, I know who you are. You're up in a sycamore tree. <laughs> I know who you are, but I want to dine with you. I accept you. And I believe that during that conversation, Zacchaeus' heart just suddenly believed the love. And then, good works was inevitable. Good works followed. When Jesus looked Zacchaeus full in the face, something passed between them that changed his life. An encounter with Jesus can change your life. And a result of God's love and acceptance, guess what? Transformation happened. Change is inevitable. It's inevitable. I mean, think about it. Zacchaeus, all of a sudden, without any effort, trying, trying, just an encounter, all of a sudden. And look, look at the generosity. It wasn't, it wasn't like this. Well, if I cheated people, I'm just going to give them back their money. No, he said, I'm going to give them back their money, and guess what? I'm going to give it back four times more. So if somebody, if that tax collector owed someone a million pesos, guess how much he was going to pay him back? Do you think his heart was radically changed? Yes, I think, I think it would have been enough. I don't think, Jesus didn't even tell him to say that. There's nothing that says that Jesus said, okay, and I think Zacchaeus would have said yes. But no, out of his own accord. See, when you have an encounter with Jesus, just out of the overflow of your heart, you cannot help but respond. You cannot help but be changed. We need to see God as our heavenly daddy. He is our daddy. He wants to give to us. God is not our employer. Can I say that again? God is not our employer. So many Christians, not in New Life the Ford, so many Christians think that God is an employer. If I do good, he'll pay me well. If I, if I join so-and-so ministry, if I do, then, then he will bless me. They see God as this heavenly employer. Oh, he might be a generous employer, but if I make a mistake, oh, bonus But God is not our employer. He's our daddy. We are his children. When he, when he begot us, when he gave birth to us spiritually, it was not because he expected servants. Oh, but the pastor in the Old Testament, uh, they, were, they were servants. They were called servants. Yeah, but Jesus had not died on the cross yet. Now we're not servants, we're sons who choose to serve. Come on, I'm not saying we don't serve, but I'm saying God does not want your service. He wants your heart. And if God has your heart, he definitely has your service. I did not give birth to Kevin and Kyla so they could serve me. When I gave birth to them, I did not say, kita ang kita. Cute ka, oh, commercial. I didn't. No, I gave birth to them because I wanted to pour out my love on them. That's me pouring out. That's me giving. Now, I'm not, and, uh, and I said this in the other service, but, and sometimes, you know, parents, don't, don't ever say, oh, you take care of me, huh, para payback. Payback? What do you mean payback? God does not say, I'll bless you, but payback time is coming. He doesn't say that. He just blesses you, Period. So don't, don't, don't ever think of that because there are some like in our culture, our, our culture, and don't get me wrong. I honor my parents. I respect my parents. I give money to my parents. I bless my parents. But they have never come to me and said, oh, you need to do that for me. And guess what? God is not like that. 
So when my children choose to serve me and bless me, it is because they are responding to my love. But for me, it is my joy to give to them without anything in return. It is really up to them. And I'm telling you, amen? You want to say something? No, okay. But amen? Got a little quiet, but we want to change the thinking of people. Parents, you're there for your children. We are not to be a burden to our children. (laughs) Amen. Amen. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So if we are focused on abiding in Him, not on performing for Him, fruit is inevitable. Focus on abiding in Him, not performing for Him. Because if you do that, remember the vine? When you abide in Him, fruit is inevitable. We must listen to the voice of acceptance. We must choose the voices that we hear. Zacchaeus must have heard a lot of voices. And many of them not good. Oh, he's a thief. Oh, he's a tax collector. Oh, my goodness. Never heard anything good. And maybe if he did, maybe they said, wow, Zacchaeus, you're so good, so popular. But maybe when he turned his back, those words would become stab wounds. Maybe he never heard anything like that before until he met Jesus. And I'm so glad he chose to hear the voice of Jesus. He chose to believe the voice of Jesus than the voice of the world. Jesus also heard other voices. They called him a drunkard, a wine-bibber. Remember that? They called him uh, somebody with a demon. (laughs) They called him a, a blasphemous person. But you know whose voice he chose to hear? He chose to hear the voice of the Father that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And I'm here to tell you, amidst all the voices that you are going to hear, I pray that the loudest voice you will hear is the voice of your daddy saying, I love you and I accept you no matter what. Amen? Hallelujah. What's really important is not what others say, but what your heavenly Father says about you. You're loved, you're accepted. And when you have the yes of God, do you know that you have the yes of God? When you have the yes of God, you can say no to any bondage. When you have the yes of God, you can say no to any bondage. In Romans 5, 9 to 11, and I'm going to end with this. Romans 5, 9 to 11 in the Message Bible. Is this helping anybody? Wow, I'm so glad accepted in the beloved. I'm telling you, this is a revolutionary revelation. And this is what people need to hear. If we want to change behavior, then we need to tell them who they really are so that their actions will follow who they are. Amen? Romans 5, 9 to 11, Message Bible. Pastor calls this the shouting ground verses, right? It says here, Now that we are set right with God by means of this sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice. There is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. No longer a question. Guess what? Don't ever, 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 never, ever, ever doubt that you are accepted by God. Never doubt that. No matter what happens and no matter what you hear. And it says in verse 10, if When we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son. 
Now that we're at our best, how many of you here know that you are already at your best? You know, it's not about performance. Okay, some of you are like, am I at my best? Am I at my If you are in Christ, you are at your best. I don't think you can ever be better than the best. If you are in Christ, you look like Christ, you're the best. All right, amen. And it says, now that we're at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. Woo! My goodness, if while we were still sinners, God gave Jesus, how much more now that we are in him? The gospel is the same. Oh, wait. It is the same. How many gospels do we have? I already gave you the answer. If you're kind of thinking, there's only one gospel. The gospel is Jesus loves you. Jesus accepts you. Jesus died for you. He paid the price for your sin. Amen? There's nothing that you can do you know, to make him love you any more or any less than that. Amen. And when we go out into the streets, this is the gospel for the unbelievers. And we tell them, God loves you. And they say, no, no, God doesn't know what I've done. No, I can't. I'm not deserving. Say, no, no, it doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you all the same. He loves you. He wants you to come home. He wants him. Oh, but I have to do something. No, you don't have to do anything for God. He just loves you. Just come to me. He will change your life. That's the gospel that we stay out there. But what is the gospel that we say in here? The gospel should be the same for both unbelievers and believers. Because sometimes, maybe sometimes lang naman, when a believer falls, we go, Six months, six years na lang. Six years ka ng Christian, tapos ganyan ang ginawa mo. Gosh, disappointed sa'yo si God. Paano yan? A- alam mo, ewan ko nga, makakapag-church ka pa ba? Kahit sa likod ka na lang umupo. Para, para hindi naman nakakahiya, di ba? Pero, tapos mag-pray, mag-pray ka, basta mag-pray ka, gano'ng katagal? Huwag ko, basta, pray ka lang ng pray. Para lang makabalik ka sa Panginoon. Hello, ba't nagbiba yung gospel? Nagiba yung gospel dito. Eh, in Christ na tayo eh. It should be so much better if it could get any better because we're in Christ. If while we were still sinners, it was God loves you no matter what. If we are in Christ, it's still God loves you no matter what. It says here, my goodness, can you imagine if we are in our best, just think of our lives will expand and deepen by means of His resurrection life. Verse 11, now that we have actually received... We have already received this amazing friendship with God. We are no longer content to simply say it in plodding prose. We sing and shout. We sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah. That's why we come here. It's to give Him praises because we have undeserved grace and mercy. I want you to know why you worship God. I want you to know why you lift your hands. I want you to know why you shout your praises. You shout your praises. Because now that we, uh, we, you know, we are in our best, that we're in Him, we're with Christ, we can expect good things. Expect good things. This week, expect good things. You're accepted by God. You're accepted in the Beloved. You are highly favored. You have the ABCs. You're accepted. You are beloved and you are completely changed. I give credit to my husband for that. (laughs) Hallelujah. I'm telling you, you leave this place. 
with that revelation, you're going to live life in a very different way. You're going to be empowered to live. Amen? Let's give God the glory today. Thank you, Jesus. There might be some people here. Maybe it's your first time. Or maybe it's not your first time. But you have never made the decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. God is not angry with you. The price was paid at the cross of Calvary. God has no anger. He has no wrath left for you. All he has is love. All he wants to do is shower you with kindness and goodness and, and favor, provision, help, wholeness. He, he wants to do that, but you need to allow him to do that. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on you. And to do that, if you've never made a decision to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he's here right now and he's saying, would you allow me to change your life? Would you allow me to show you kindness and goodness? If that is you and you want to experience Jesus and all his goodness, I'm giving you an invitation to receive him into your heart as Lord and Savior. He died for you. He was buried for you, paid the price for your sin. And he was resurrected for you so you could live a new life. So with every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, if you are here and you're saying, Pastor, I want that life. I want Jesus to come. I want him to change me from the inside and out. I want to be showered by his kindness and goodness. Pastor, please pray for me. I want to receive him for the first time today into my heart as Lord and Savior. If that is you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's not a prayer to join a religion. Religion certainly cannot save you. It's not a prayer to even join this church because church cannot save you. Only Jesus can. And so if you're ready, repeat this prayer after me. Congregation, let's pray this prayer with those who are going to pray it for the first time. Heavenly Father, I thank you for showing me that even as I am, in my weaknesses, in my failures, you still love me and you accept me. Jesus, I want to respond today. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be the King of my life. I allow you, Jesus, to transform me from the inside out. Thank you for this great love that is truly beyond measure. And from this day on, I believe that I now belong to your family. Thank you. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at newlifethefort.com.